1: Next up, on the Mutual Audio Network, fiction from our future.
2: The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult.
3: Hi, welcome back to the Carlson Chronicles. In the last episode, Ian and company come back to a homecoming party in the Freehold. Plans were accepted for moving out and keeping the Freehold alive with those that want to stay in the Freehold. Ian gets to watch what Rachel does as chief scribe coordinator. Cassie finally finishes with the arbiters and ascends to full scribe at JJC and also the arbiter or court judge for the colony. However, Lars is detailed to spy on the new factions by going through the scribe's door. The next day, Two Feathers follows Lars through the passage to keep them safe. Will they make it back alive? Listen now to the episode to find out how all this plays out.
1: It's the 5th of May at 1100 hours. Cassie was stuck in limbo. Ian's plan had caused a delay. It would be the 6th of May before they could leave. She had to meet with Jack Bilson and James O'Brien. The city planners and government group had already met and now required their scribe's attention. Jack was staying in the freehold. Cassie couldn't quite get why she was to be in the meeting. The action begins with Cassie's entrance into the conference room on level 17.
4: You made it. I was beginning to wonder if you'd forgotten.
2: I'm here now, so what's holding up our moving day?
1: We are still training people
0: to drive the half tracks. The four drivers are having problems. They have never driven in their lives and are having to learn outside their comfort zone. Never mind that we're sending them down paths and not paved, danger roads. The council tasked me with safety and security the day I was elected as defense coordinator. That's why I'm here. Two platoons of the defense force have left for Jed Johnson Flats. They'll set up the 10th city for workers. You and O'Brien have to shepherd the 5,000 people that are going to build your colony. That means you and Kelly are in
4: charge. Hey, they drafted me as mayor. I wasn't even asked until after people had voted. Did he and say if our tablets work at that distance from the freehold?
2: Okay then. Yeah. There is a repeater attached that allows our tablets to communicate with the AI here. What's the current malfunction that you needed me? I wanted to be on the road by now. I know it's not a road, just a path. I wonder where they got the 5000 number from. My last count was 6,500 that were going with us. Kelly will be fine as communication manager. We aren't in contemption for anything anymore. Just how many different jobs do we have to fill? Anyway, remember to give that list to O'Brien Lee.
4: You still with us, Cassie? drifted off for a second.
2: Um, what did I miss? I'm, I'm sorry, I was lost in thought.
4: Here's the recap of what you missed. Steve Kirkson took
0: on a new position. They appointed him the weather advisor. Steve Anthony will move to the communication manager from the assistant position. It seems the entire radio network of Freeholds, Apache, Navajo, Forrester, Cherokee, and Creek all want the weather predictions they get from the colony on the moon. They agreed and pledged to pay Kirkson out of trade goods. So he's moving into other areas. Now, three times a day, will receive his radio newscasts. He's also going to use the frequency to establish an entertainment station. I'm looking forward to the music myself.
2: So, I'm confused. What's wrong with the stored entertainment programs that we already have?
4: The council seems to believe that they are outdated and do not have the current news, weather, and sports. Did you know that the handball teams decided to create a league with the Forester teams? That means they'll have the games planned for here and away. Travel will become big business. Steve has set up an agency for guides and guards to get them here and there safely.
2: Okay, back to business. So, what's the holdup?
4: Just the driver and loading issues. The snow will have dissipated by tomorrow. We're gathering tools to deal with the mud. You have to read and record the red box I sent you this morning for all the appointments and changes to be official.
2: Is that all? So now I'm the holdup?
5: This is Steve Kirkson reporting. It's noon on May 5th, 4062. The weather is fair with light winds. Today's high will be 42 with a low of 12 degrees tonight. Our next cold front arrives on Thursday. Now for news. The council has granted permission to those who wish to relocate to Jed Johnson Colony, JJC. You are to coordinate via email link with Cassie Robeson, scribe for JJC. The 6,542 workers are packed and will leave on the morning of the 6th. In other news, Cornwall Freehold is asking for skilled software engineers that are willing to relocate to apply directly through Rachel Robeson's office on Level 3. The bank will reopen on the 9th of May. James Anthony has hired staff to give him and Renee regular four day a week hours in rotating shifts to include Saturdays. They will be closed on Sundays. The delay was in the re evaluation and acquisition of secured storage after the vandalism on May 4th. Jack Bilson determined nothing has been taken as the vault was too large for thieves to carry off. This just then, Elder Johnson will be vacating the office of supervisory elder to take the post of ambassador to the new Forrester Confederation. He will shuttle between offices here and at their Quackawker Lake capital. Continuing local news, Kelly Kirkson will be the communications manager at JJC, confirmed by Mayor James O'Brien. Now it's time for my editorial. The colonists don't leave until tomorrow. I have been informed that they have elected to retain the democratic form of government. They will be part of the Freehold Federation, which already exists. Across the world, I have learned that the Chinese non-sanctioned freeholds have applied to our federation as well. I would advise caution on their inclusion. We don't know anything about them as of yet. Just saying, send me a voice clip by email and let us all know what you think. This is Steve Kirkson signing off.
6: So that's your new job. Are you going to coordinate with Mom and me for the
5: news portion, at least? I guess I will. We created the radio station out of thin air. I'm still working out of my old office here in the communications center. The council thought it might be a way for us to stomp out some of these wild rumors. The plan of yours calmed most of the agitated folks. When I broadcast the details, James Anthony takes my place here in communications. He's also taking over the unofficial religious coordinator duties between 15 different religions practiced in our freehold. I think people will be happy there. They know it'll take about two years to complete, don't they? Yes, they got the memo. That was smart of you to use targeted memos through the email links. You opened communication in ways not used in centuries to get the word out. Whose idea was that, anyway? Oh,
6: that was Mom's idea. But Cassie did set up the buffer and firewall. Talk to me about the repeater station for JJC.
5: James Anthony and Don Wilson worked out those details, The only thing visible will be the antenna attached to your tower house. How did that get designed? As your house? It was built for the scribe and forester maintenance crews.
6: The new wing Dawn is planning will be a barracks for the foresters. He said it will be up in a month. I'm going to call it Scribe Hold. Nobody ever named it. It also gives me a place to relax. What about your scribe apartment here? I'll be here as much as anywhere. I'm recruiting live and staff. That way I will not miss or lose any important paperwork or contacts while I travel. Hey, your son is old enough for a job. Do you think
5: he would take the scribe oath? I can't even acknowledge he is mine. He's two years younger than Kelly. I wasn't officially partnered with his mother, but I've kept his support up ever since his birth. I think that his mother would approve He still has to finish secondary school, though. Well, that's good enough for me. I just need someone I can
6: trust to handle my correspondence. He could work after school to start with. Let me know if
5: he's willing. I hear the soccer team calls him K-2. Not my choice or place to step in. And yes, they call him K-2. I'll talk to his mother and him. Then I'll ping you back on the secured radio. Thanks, Steve. Oh, will you include a text
6: copy of the Daily Weather Report in my inbox? Sure thing. See you later,
5: kid.
1: Ian rose to get to his next meeting, leaving the communications center for the garages as they were now calling it. He sighed and wondered if he'd ever get the hang of all this political mess.
3: We're going to take a short sponsor break. We'll be right back.
0: Imagine the world around you is nothing but
4: an illusion Creatures of legend wage endless wars between shadow and light But you never see it Even now dark forces threaten reality as we know it But most people never know they exist This is the world I walk in. I am called Byron. And these are my chronicles. The Byron Chronicles, available at presents.com iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else podcasts are available.
3: And now back to our story.
1: Cassie, Kelly and O'Brien are in the garage. The new drivers are just about to be given their electronic keys for the half-tracks. Four of those vehicles will be used by the JJC for the move and then will be housed there. The half-tracks are an armored vehicle with virtual reality device control 30 millimeter cannon mounted forward and aft. The gunner will be the assistant driver and second person needed to crew the half-tracks. The half-tracks are electric with an onboard biofuel generator mounted under the aft cargo area. The thorium isotope batteries line the frame and give stability for the entire high-profile vehicle. Their range is 600 miles without a charge. It's overkill for the five-mile move to JJC, but that is what they have. We join a meeting in progress taking place in the garage.
2: Are we leaving in the morning?
4: Yep, Don Wilson's crews are done with the vehicle cleanup after their years of storage. Our drivers are trained colonists that are going with us are in tents located by the main freehold door landing. Now we have to show up tomorrow at 9 in the morning and get the heck down the paths.
3: So, how are you taking to life as the JJC Lord Mayor?
4: I'm not comfortable with the title our colonists gave me, but I'm coping. They act like we're a feudal state or something. It's not what I would have picked. That was their choice. The arbiters are still working out the colony, constitution, and structure. Don and I are working closely with them. The 6500 will be enough to ratify the Constitution and Charter once the details are determined. Changes will be handled by a petition and a collective vote. I'm not a politician, I'm a plumber for heaven's sake.
3: James O'Brien, you graduated second in your class from the engineering school. You're more than just a plumber. Plus, you're our drafted leader.
4: You don't have to tell me, I'm up to my armpits and paperwork, and we haven't even left the freehold yet.
1: Ian and Kita walk up to the group with steaming cups of coffee in their hands. Ian and Keita had just passed the driver's test for the half-track. Carrie will be the gunner and the second crew member on their truck.
6: <laughs> Congratulations, James. Welcome to the world of politics.
4: How was your day, my lord? That's enough of the my lord stuff. Ian, how long did you say you were staying before you go exploring again?
6: Another day or two. I'm hoping Two Feathers and Lars are back by then. They're off spying on our neighbors to the west. Their tracking beacons are still registering, so I know they're alive.
7: Ian paces and worries too much. Mr. O'Brien, I'm Keita Forrester. I'll introduce myself since Ian hasn't done so.
4: The Elvenwind speaks. Welcome to our nightmare. Just watch. Something else will go wrong before morning.
2: Ignore him, Kita. He's just a man, after all. So, you're driving the behemoth? Why in the world didn't our ancestors store something more, um, user-friendly?
7: I doubt that they ever thought that the truck would be in stasis so long. Didn't that scribe Karn use one?
6: Um, yes he did. He, his sons, and grandsons all used one. It's in the stasis as well. I think Mom wants it to stay as a museum piece. Mom and the scribes of the other freeholds want us to build monorails like they did in Japan years ago that connect the freeholds together. I think ground vehicles would be better for the short term. Long term goals may see a vintage style monorail system put in place. Unfortunately, none of the Black Sea freehold ships or vehicles survived. That area and their freehold malfunctioned and their stored equipment turned to rust and piles of dust. The Cherokee are working on a rotary engine designed based on the Sterling engines. We'll see if it works.
3: Let's get out of here. The techs are moving the trucks to the landing by the front doors for final loading. James, who's in charge up there?
4: Oh yeah, we are. Let's get moving. See you later, Ian.
1: They left the garage for meetings on the other levels. Dodd Wilson was at Rachel's when Ian arrived. He looked extremely tired. Jay Witherspoon had been caught in the backflow of gas when the trucks were pulled from stasis. He didn't have his respirator on, which caused his death. Rachel and Don had just finished talking to his parents at Phoenix Freehold. Everyone was somber.
6: Don, what's the plan for power at Judge Johnson look like
8: at this stage? <sighs> the water wheel generates more electricity now than we will need during construction. Currently, the excess is lost through the ground loop. The JJC Interim Council approved the excess to be stored in mechanical batteries at the storage site. The flywheels are being milled now. I will take them with me to JJC. We had our Defense Force platoons move the Tent City to the Bowl Valley between Jed Johnson Dam and Center Mountain. It offers better protection from the weather. They grumbled, but Jack handled it adroitly. The power plant will go at the east end of Jed Johnson Flats. That means a shorter run of transmission lines from there to the freehold that east end site isn't suitable for anything else. We'll have it up and running in less than two months. Then the crews can start making transmission cable. Kessa has a team setting up a way station encampment at the crossroads for the group of weary walkers. We'll stop there on the first day out. 6,500 people are a slow moving ponderous mass. It'll take two days for us to get to the JJC site. And then the fun begins. Mom, did you talk to Kessa about the Comanche?
9: Why, yes, son of mine, I did! The Foresters are monitoring them from an old Sulphur spring site. The Chickasaw Nation is helping them. I didn't even know that group had survived. Kessa says they number about 20,000 as a tribe. They officially joined the Forester Confederation last week. Do we have anyone who speaks Chickasaw?
8: Why? Don't they speak English? I don't know.
9: To me, it seems better to talk to them in their own language. Don, there are so many more people that speak other languages besides English outside this freehold. I'll check and see if we have text to learn the Chickasaw language. Wouldn't hurt for you to learn Forster, Don. It's a Semitic language, almost Hebrew, English, French, hybrid language, with a Middle English syntax and Aramaic style of writing. I still haven't been able to identify clearly where it came from.
6: Don... Did the trucks require much work when you pulled them from stasis?
8: Well, Jack's soon-to-be crew did the work faster than you lot learned to drive them. Mostly it was cleaning and recharging. The trucks were encased in a silicon gel, kept soft with a compound not even the chemists can identify. It sure kept all the air out.
6: Is this radio station Steve Kirk's doing a good thing?
9: I think so. Steve may be cantankerous, but he loves the people of his freehold. AI videos still remain too costly for on-demand usage.
8: Well, I've got to go. My youngest boy has a tennis match on level 22 in 30 minutes. I don't want to miss it.
9: See you later. Wish him well for us.
8: I'm starved. Mom,
6: you got any of those peanuts left? It's an hour until dinner back at my apartment.
9: They're in the kitchen. You can get them yourself.
1: Ian's apartment was on level two. The lower the level, the closer you were to the summit of Mount Sky. Level one was full of electronics. No one lived on that level. The scribe's apartment on level two had something that no one else enjoyed in the freehold, a window. When Ian was very young, he had been here to visit his grandparents' home. They had been gone a long time. Ian hadn't even known it was there because it had been covered by a large entertainment center. It sat at a recessed surround of five feet of mountainside, but the six foot high by nine foot wide window was a wonderful discovery. These apartments were built by Rachel Cohen, who was the first scribe. It was written that she had been instrumental in so many areas that she was revered as a hero. The window was across the living room. It was a beautiful view of the Lake Latonka Basin. The foresters and freeholders had worked together for decades to maintain the lake and dam. The grasslands stretched as far as you could see to the east. Today's path in the distance been a highway labeled oklahoma 58 2 years ago its outline still showed in the tall grass what had been robinson's landing during the time of the founding was just out of sight to the north that's where the comanche were the area they had chosen when driven north by the cannibals was just out of sight you couldn't see it but the ruin of the mount scott comanche united methodist church was at the center of their main village
6: kita Tell me what you know of the Comanche.
7: My mother always says that the Comanche are always bad, but we trade with them and have since they came north. They are a proud and stubborn people. It was written that through the San Antonio Freehold, they were reborn. We've never really understood that until you came. It had never been explained. I'm humbled and frightened by such knowledge and power.
6: We're nothing special. We are the keepers of the old world's knowledge. Our best scientists struggle in understanding the most basic concepts from our past. Math, bioengineering, genetics, and biocomputing are the only areas we have achieved advancement. Lars has a sound understanding of civilization at the beginning of the 21st century. Today's societies are nothing like those that died in the collapse.
7: What do you mean, Ian? A person's individual needs have not changed. Or so I was taught.
6: No, the individual needs are the same. Let's look at the Freehold Federation and the Forester Confederation. The Freehold governments are elected from elders put forth by the crafts, clergy, and academics. While in a representative federal structure, the individuals vote for who they think best represents their group of beliefs. Those representatives vote for an elder that best fits the agenda that those people choose. Then the councils of all the freeholds select an elder to serve as a supervisory elder in each freehold for the next eight years. The judicial branch and scribes are appointed for life and outside the politics of the councils. There was nothing like that prior to the creation of the freeholds. Now, contrast to what the directly elected representative democracy of the Forester Confederation. You chose a leader for your faction. A prime or first minister is chosen by the assembly and serves until the assembly issues a vote of no confidence or when the individual retires. Your form of government is much like the English structure after World War II.
2: I read
7: about the World Wars. They were terrible. How in the world did the Freeholds come up with that complicated mess? Does government or faith come first?
6: It seems that they rose simultaneously. Both are present back to the caveman authoritarianism. I don't think anyone really knows beyond that. It would seem to me to be all guesswork. Lars is the expert. I just remember everything I hear or read. The Freehold structure was expanded from Rachel Cohen's writings. Initially, she wrote about the need of a judicial, historical, journalistic, investigative, and political structures that had to be separate. That's why the arbiter and the scribe's oaths were created. We
7: have sheriffs for each settlement. The settlement elects council, mayor, and judges. It seems so much simpler.
6: That is simpler. Our structure is a relic. I read Rachel Cohan's proposals. It seems that the structure was an ancient one when the freeholds were sanctioned.
1: Ian's doorbell went off, and the Victoria AI reported that Roy was at the door. Carrie was in the kitchen with the food prep crew Ian had hired. He was discussing the finer points of hollandaise sauce. Supper would be served soon. Tad and Stephen were with Rachel in her kitchen. It was suppertime on the 5th of May. They were waiting on Kelly and O'Brien to arrive before they ate. Cassie was finishing the administrative portions of the colony's exodus with the arbiters. Larry Michelson was the proponent jurist. The supervisor-arbiter triad had the final legal word. It seemed there was no counting the ways the same thing could be said in a legal language. Cassie had it handled per her last message. She was stuck until the printed charter was presented to her for recording. Then she had to hand-carry a copy to O'Brien. He was here with Kelly because Cassie said he'd meet them here at her mom's.
9: James Anthony should be here too. Steve doesn't have to sign off on Kelly's appointment, does he?
5: No, I signed her commission before I resigned as communications manager. It saved him the costs of a notary as I had the foresight to get Larry and him in the office. When I signed it, they were the witnesses. Let's see
10: the council dispute that. I took care of that before I accepted my new post. I included her appointment in the minutes of the three meetings. They'd have to be crazy to argue the point. Ian's giving me a ride to Keese's on his way to Jed Johnson Colony. I'm so glad someone abbreviated that to JJC.
5: Where in the world did Lars and Two Feathers get off to? Shouldn't they be here to witness the exodus? I'll write up a good report for the morning newscast. Rachel, do you have anything to add?
9: My report's already in your inbox. When are you ever going to get some sleep?
5: I've been catching naps just until I get my helpers trained. Anthony's bank is going to sponsor their salaries. He wants to pull business away from the credit unions, so he's up for spending advertising coin.
9: At least the bank is finally in good hands again. James has come a long way from the sullen and selfish child that I remember. His dad is finally talking to him again.
10: Steve, are you going to lease that space on level 12 for the radio station?
1: Steve Kirkson never got to answer. The door knocker shook the paintings on the walls.
9: That will be O'Brien and Kelly now. Daggone it, that's the radio going off too. Tad, would you please let them in? I've got to answer that. It's the alert system.
1: Rachel scooted to the little office she maintained by the library to answer the system's summons.
9: This is Scribe Base 3. Who's ringing?
7: This is Kesa at Quantum Parker Settlement. They call us QP.
9: Go ahead. Kessa at QP.
7: The Forester plant at Old Fort Seal reports the Comanches spoken in the museum. They stole black powder cannons and seven small mortars. Be prepared. The settlement and the freeholds are likely to be prime target.
9: I'll report this to Jack Bilson. He'll just be thrilled, I'm sure. What are they thinking?
7: They're conniving idiots. It's likely they'll attack and just try to take whatever it is they want instead of asking like everyone else does.
9: Do we have a time frame guesstimate yet?
7: No, we're watching. I'll call when we do. This is Kesa at QP out.
9: Roger, Scribe Base 3 out. Tad, will you take everyone into the kitchen, please? I'll be there in a bit. I've got to get Jack up here, too. He's just gonna love this. Jack, we need you at the Scribe's quarters. Not Ian's, mine. Thanks, see you in a few.
1: Now out of breath and back in the kitchen, Rachel sits down before she starts to talk. She is deep in thought on how to relay what she'd just heard without causing alarm in those assembled.
4: What's wrong, Rachel? I've never seen your face that shade of red before.
9: I'm out of breath, that's all. I'll tell everyone when Jack gets here. That way I only have to tell it once.
1: Tad Johnson let Jack in and motioned for him to walk with him in the direction of the kitchen. Jack snagged one of the folding chairs from its rack by the kitchen archway and joined them at the table. Why the get here now call, Rachel.
9: The Comanche broke into the old Fort Seal Museum and stole some cannons and mortars. Kessa thinks Parker Settlement and the Freehold are their targets.
0: Crap, we aren't ready for that kind of shit. Oh, sorry for the language. Do you know when they are going to attack?
9: Kessa said she'd ring when she had more information to tell us.
0: We really don't need this with the Exodus in the morning. Could they get here by then? I doubt it. They'll have to
5: make their trade for black powder to make those ancient weapons work. If I were you, I'd send ground guards with the colonists, just for safety.
0: You're right. I'll issue glass ammo on those modified repeaters to three squads when they go to the colonists. And I would rather they use
10: the ice ammo, and force their people to take care of the wounded, which in turn, will decrease
0: their numbers in fighting us.
9: Are we really going to shoot people? Better them
0: than us. I better get stuff rolling. Damn.
1: Rachel walked him to the door and thanked him for coming. Returning to the kitchen, she sees that no one has moved or spoken.
10: We all heard of that, didn't we? Well, that's newsworthy. Steve, don't go scaring people to death over a possibility that hasn't come to pass yet.
5: How else would you frame the threat? Direct information is critical.
9: Being direct is correct. Creating fear is irresponsible. I'm sure you'll find a way to correctly say it. It is your job as a journalist after all. Confusion, fear, and hate come from the misunderstandings that happen when news is too blunt or overly detailed. History shows us that the percentage of population would view either extreme as fake news.
10: Are you sure, Steve? Facts changes as knowledge grows or is repeated, it becomes reason and logic, so information has to be presented correctly. That information isn't an excuse. That information is necessary to define perception and truth. Without the correct information, current facts are incomplete and therefore false. Never ever ask for yes or no questions as they damage both the reporter and the recipient of the news. It is the same with interpersonal relationships. Positive and negative responses amplified by the rigid yes or no issues become argumentative, conflictions which lead to many, many more problems. The literal thinkers
5: aren't going to like
9: that approach. History tells of a president that did the exact same thing. It actually caused people to riot. People were killed in that clash, and several hurt.
5: Oh, then say anything is going to upset at least a someone. There is no way to win.
1: Everyone stayed silent for a brief few moments. Finally resigned with that information they got to eat. It is 0700 hours on May 6th, 4062. We join Cassie, Kelly, and O'Brien on the landing by the main Freehold doors. Steve Kirkson, Elder Johnson, Rachel Robson had just exited the vestibule. The scene is utter chaos. Jack has a bullhorn at his hand and is barking orders to the troops being sent to ensure the colonists' safety. The radio traffic was a mass of confused voices. Only half the tents had been packed for travel. Kelly and O'Brien were heading into the midst of the 6,500 plus colonists. Cassie turned to greet the new arrivals.
2: Morning all. This is crazy. O'Brien and Kelly are going down to get everybody in order. There are people still sleeping in the tents. Can you believe that? Did I hear right? Are we going to have a troop escort? I must have missed that meeting.
10: The chaos seems about right given the numbers of people involved. Is this being recorded?
5: James Anthony has a crew out. See the video cameras there on the left and also in the valley down there looking up. I'll bet he even has people in the crowd as well. I would have done so.
2: There was nothing about troops in the news this morning. I'd have thought that there would have been.
5: We chose to avoid panic. Not reporting this made it wiser to broadcast after the event. I'm learning to keep my mouth shut when necessary, of course.
1: From down in the crowd, you could hear O'Brien clearly after a bit of electronic wizardry.
4: Line it up, folks. Those that are walking after the trucks, please make a line now. Kelly, can that radio act like a megaphone?
3: I believe it can do that. Here, O'Brien, you take this radio. Tap the screen on this handheld radio by the round button. That's it. It will bring the display to life. Now press the talk button when you want to blast something to the crowd. Got it?
4: Where's your dad?
5: I'm right here behind you. I'm not going back in until you folks move out. Then I can start the upgrade on the repeater for this side of the mountain.
4: That's good of you, because I'd sure like to be able to talk back and forth without the static on those sideband radios. Let me try this radio you gave me. Let's move it, people. You know what to do. I want to be at the cross pass before sundown.
1: Thus began the arduous process of getting to Jed Johnson Lake and the Flats. It was now 900 in the morning. Moving day had finally begun. Eight hours later, they arrived at the tent city that Lake Quanta Park Forester Clan and Kessa had set up. It was amazing. Only 53 people were walking wounded. Sprained ankles and blisters seemed to be the main complaints. Four had been loaded onto the scooters the Defense Force used and sent back to the Freehold of these only one had actually broken a bone the other three had seizures of unknown origins cassie and o'brien were busy with the forester guards left to keep the campsite safe kelly was on the radio checking on those that were sent back darkness had already set in by 1900 hours when the makeshift kitchen staff called everyone to eat there were six lines winding through the three kitchen tents
4: well we're here it wasn't as bad a messed up walk as i had feared Kelly, what's up with those we sent back to the Freehold?
3: They're all going to be okay. The seizures were actually induced by the stress of the move. The hospitals report that they're recovering. It seems they're all epileptics. All three are from the same family. The vast open space seems to have been what set them off. They weren't used to not having the closed-in spaces of the Freehold. They'll be picked up on the supply run and brought to us, which is planned for May 9th. The young man with a broken arm is already back. He's in a little more pain than the sprained ankles are. Kez's people will keep the sprains here while we move on tomorrow.
2: That's nice of them. I noticed the start of a new rock building in the middle of the encampment. Does anyone know what that will be for?
4: I spoke to the Forester in charge. They are building a way station here. It will be equal distance from the Freehold, Lake Quana Parker, and Lake Jed Johnson. There are plans for an inn that other travelers can use in the future. Seems like a good idea to me. The tower which is south of where the paths meet is a water well drilling rig. A Stirling engine directly spins a four inch board shaft bit. They think the water is about 150 feet down. When done, the Stirling engine will remain as a water pump powered by burning the trash from the inn. The furnace barrel is that copper covered pot under the piston. It even has a brass fire door for easy loading.
3: Oh gosh. Is that the stink I smell?
2: (laughs) Only if you're downwind. Don Wilson and the third half track went on to Jed Johnson tonight. They've got the trailer with the prefabricated meeting hall. Rory is with them. He's driving the second leg. Rory seems nice. Isn't he staying on at the colony?
3: (laughs) Yes, Cassie, he is. He's an engineer after all. Don said he'd be operating that magnetic lift crane thing Kaylee is driving.
4: Our tent is at the west end of camp. The food was good. Who's in charge of that operation?
3: Bobby Earlson. I could care less who's in charge as long as he keeps cooking like that. The foresters had prepared the beef from a longhorn. Kessa had already sent them ahead of us. So while we were walking here, they were getting ready for us to arrive. They dug a pit with a spit over the dugout. What's really cool is how Bevan Forrester erected a walking wheel where the canines were turning the spit since early this morning and kept them walking for exercise. Periodically, he would change them out for a fresh pair of canines so as not to tire them out for tomorrow's trek. I don't know about you, but I'm for a wash and going to bed. You coming?
2: Go on, girl. I've got to record everything that's happened today. Then I'll find the shower tent, too.
4: Wimps. You'd think you two were soft or something. I have a basin and jug of water. (laughs) Women.
3: Don't you just know it, James O'Brien.
2: I'm leaving, too. Your tent's next to ours. We'll have fun finding it in the dark.
4: My pack is already in the tent. I've already found it. Hey, you've got my hand light. Give it back. Cassie was already sixty yards away
1: with a flashlight in each hand. O'Brien still sat on the ground, laughing at how easy they'd left him in the dark. He'd have to watch out for those two. They were always up to something. It was funny. Just after dawn, James O'Brien rose and dressed in his tent. When he pulled back the flap, he was shocked. People were already breaking camp and heading for the smell of food being cooked. He'd never thought of freeholders as eager, but the whole camp was alive with movement, and he'd just barely gotten his face washed. Hey, James, are you up yet? Kelly was swinging a sack with three covered plastic plates of what could only be scrambled eggs, toast, and thinly sliced beef by the smell.
4: I'm hearing up. On my way.
1: Well, join Cassie and
4: I at that folding
1: table she carries behind her tent. I brought the food. O'Brien, Kelly, and Cassie were at the head of the procession when they left the way station for Jed Johnson Lake. They walked with people behind them singing songs and laughing. Some were darting out of line to get better looks at the animal tracks beside the path. When everybody was moving, the four lines stretched for a quarter mile behind them to the Forester rear guards. The electric scooters used by the Freehold troops seemed to be everywhere at once.
4: We're on the road again. What a feeling of freedom this is. It's no wonder you loved it out there, Kelly.
1: Man, I didn't want to go back.
3: Jed Johnson Lake is like an oasis in the deserts I read about. I know that Ian's report made it seem like a lot of work, but I'm up for work. I don't have to live in a cave.
2: You asked for one of those stone cottages they're building east of the Rush Lake Dam then.
3: Yes, I did. I didn't have any trouble paying for it either since those are considered adequate housing by the JJC Council. You and O'Brien there had to buy your housing too since you're employed by the colony.
4: Don't I know it. My dugout is going to be in the hillside just east of Jed Johnson Dam. Don's there and platting the area already. When we spoke by radio a bit ago, he said there are little orange, red, and white plastic flags sticking up everywhere. So much for my thought I'll walk in any old way we arrived. He's got the roadways marked in paint stripes and glow-in-the-dark painted arrows pointing our way to the tent city.
2: Sounds like Don's organized. How many did he take with him last
4: night?
3: You'll have to get him for not telling you. James, do you know?
4: My tablet says Cassie's recorded a party of 60 in advance of the main group of us.
2: Oh, I actually didn't connect that with Don's group. I must be slipping.
1: While they were talking, you could hear the sharp intake of breath from more than 6,000 people as they rounded the corner to see Jed Johnson Lake lit up like a Christmas tree. It was a beautiful sight.
4: Disperse to your assigned tents. They are already labeled. Get a headcount and report it to the administration building. I can see it's already assembled.
1: Every tablet in the colonist's hands or backpack blipped a welcome message from Don Wilson. It said simply, You're home. Thank you once
3: again for listening to the Carlson Chronicles, written by J.A. Babian. The cast in this episode are Charlie Wyrack III is the narrator. Tom Cat as Lars Olofsson, Rachel Pulliam as Keita Forrester, Ellie Hirschman as Don Wilson, Bart Poland as Steve Kirkson, Mikey Henderson as Ian Kyleson, Echo Uncles Bay as Cassie Robeson, Bruce Jaworski as Elder Johnson and Jack Bilson, James Roberson as James Anthony, Linda Johnson as Kessa Forrester, Tracy Babian as Kelly Kirkson and the announcer, Lisa Sedevi as Rachel Robeson, Ryan Birch as Rory Forrester and Reed Stanford, James Sedeby as Two Feathers, and Bell Thompson as your sound effects coordinator. A special appearance by J.A. Babian as Bobby April and Seth Tilly. Musics by Sven Neukrantz, Tracy Babian, David Feslian, and Danigel Zambo. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment on whatever platform you're listening on. This is Tracy Babian. Your announcer, signing off. Hi, my name is Tracy Babian, co-author of the Carlson Chronicles podcast. My husband, J.A. Babian, the main author, had a triple stroke in the latter part of August of this year. Jerry was lifelighted to Tulsa, Oklahoma, with a brain bleed that the doctors thought they were going to have to do surgery on him, which surely would have killed him. Thank the Lord they didn't. He survived that brain bleed and swelling, but he is in need of so much for his recovery. I have started a GoFundMe to help with all the costs that I just don't have. I retired back in April of this year so that I could take care of Jerry as he was starting to show signs then that I just didn't catch. Little did I know this would be a blessing in disguise. He is fighting this setback of memory loss and 75% use of his right leg, arm, along with his cognitive speech. Considering the doctor said he would not make it, I consider him to be a miracle. Medicare has only granted 12 visits of physical and speech therapy twice a week. He needs at least six months worth of speech therapy alone. That is a total of $4,000 we need to pay up front that I just don't have. So far, we have had $775 in donations of the $10,000 we need come in. Please donate today so that he can get his needed medication, therapy, and also help pay bills that Medicare just will not cover, even if it's only $5. I update this account so folks can see his progress. You can go to my Facebook account, Tracy Babian VO, to find the pinned link with the title, Jerry Babian Stroke Victim Needs. Jerry says, thank you. I still have a lot to write on my stories that I want to get done. Please help me to achieve that goal. Thank you in advance for your donation. Tracy Babian